0: Python's data science and visualization capabilities are certainly one of the reasons for its meteoric rise over the past 10 years. But often, those visuals have been corralled into notebooks used by data scientists themselves or into static web pages. Recently, a host of excellent dashboard building and hosting frameworks have come along to turn these visuals into interactive apps for everyone. On this episode, we'll talk about H20 Wave, one of these excellent dashboard frameworks. We have Martin Taroshi from h2o.ai here to tell us about Wave. This is Talk Python to Me, episode 386, recorded October 3rd, 2022. Welcome to Talk Python to Me, a weekly podcast on Python. This is your host, Michael Kennedy. Follow me on Twitter where I'm at mkennedy and keep up with the show and listen to past episodes at TalkPython.fm and follow the show on Twitter via at TalkPython. We've started streaming most of our episodes live on YouTube. Subscribe to our YouTube channel over at TalkPython.fm slash YouTube to get notified about upcoming shows and be part of that episode. This episode is sponsored by Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub. Check them out at TalkPython.fm slash founder's hub to get early support for your startup. And it's brought to you by Sentry. Don't let those errors go unnoticed. Use Sentry. Get started at TalkPython.fm Sentry. Transcripts for this and all of our episodes are brought to you by Assembly AI. Do you need a great automatic speech-to-text API? Get human-level accuracy in just a few lines of code. Visit TalkPython.fm slash Assembly AI. Martin, welcome to Talk Python to me. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's really great to have you here. I'm super excited to learn about H2O Wave. It looks like a really cool project that's one of these enabling, empowering projects for people who don't feel like, oh, I could take my, whatever I'm building, my ML model or whatever, or my data analysis and turn it into a website or an app or any of those sorts of things. And they'll see that they can with Wave, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Should be tons of fun. I think it's going to be a relevant topic for a lot of people. Before we get to any of it, though, tell me about your background. How did you get into programming in Python?
1: Like most people do, I I went to college, studied uh, programming, computer science. I started working originally as a Java developer, actually, then switched to web developer because there was a lack of front-end engineers. And once I joined H2O, I mostly work on front-end here as well, but I somehow got in charge of this
0: Python framework. So... (laughs) need to write a lot of Python on a day-to-day basis as well. I think one of the big ironies of these data science tools and these nice Python visualization tools is they're there to let people write Python so they don't have to write a ton of front-end code or those kinds of things or write their own web frameworks or use Vue or React. And yet people like you who actually make them... You spend so much time in, in the JavaScript side of things, right? I mean, same thing for Jupyter. You know, it's someone's got to do it. And you're kind of doing it for everyone else who uses it and gets to avoid it, right? Yeah, that's right.
1: I mean, you know, if you have a look at it, then front-end engineering is quite a complex topic these days compared to what it has been,
0: let's say, 20 years ago. You mean it's more than just uh, linking to jQuery on a CDN? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> it, it used to be so straightforward, and it really is. If you don't do it day-to-day, it's like, how do I even get started to get this app up and going? It's crazy. Yeah,
1: exactly, and that's why we are here
0: today, to talk about <laughs> how to make everyone's life easier. That's right. Well, everyone but yours. You take the pain for the rest of us. <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> right.
1: but I kind of enjoy it, so that's not a problem.
0: <laughs> yeah, of course. If you love it, then it's all good. Before we get into... Uh, wave, you said you did, you switched over to front-end stuff. Uh, what are your front-end technology favorites, like front-end frameworks and stuff? To be
1: honest, I don't like frameworks at all. I like web as a platform because it also has become very powerful. We have a lot of stuff that we didn't have before, but you know, if you want to build something enterprisey or something that don't need to a longer maintenance. Then you need to reach out for frameworks. So currently, I've gone in uh, React, which is I would say industry standard. I also mm. have experience with Vue or Angular. So
0: at the end of the day, it's just a tool in our toolbox. Pick one and go with it. And other uh, friend in question: uh, straight JavaScript or TypeScript? Uh, definitely TypeScript all the way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, once you try TypeScript, then there's no way back. Okay, I've done a little bit of TypeScript but not enough to really pick it up, I don't think. My JavaScript front-end experience is pretty limited. I try to stick with with the Python side of things, the server side type of things as much as possible. Speaking of which, sticking with Python, uh, I guess maybe could get to the other question. of What do you do day-to-day? Kind of edge our way into this project? Day-to-day you work on this H2O, yeah, right? Exactly. So basically I work on H2O way, which is a
1: framework for not only data scientists and people making AI models to make their life easier, as you have already said, and Uh to allow them to build web applications without uh, regular web knowledge like HTML, CSS and JavaScript. And my day-to-day consists of basically helping people out uh, community-wise, answering questions, getting new feature requests in. Then I have also two people, uh, two developers that I with bringing on um, their issues up unblocking them and i also need to code uh bigger features mm-hmm. and basically picking up podcast if i have time <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah it sounds a little bit like a blend between sort of a program manager software developer on one half and then dev evangelist almost on the other
1: yeah in country where i come from we call it a girl for everything so
0: Basically, you need to jump on a lot of head. Yeah, perfect. All right. Well, give us the quick elevator pitch of H2O Wave. It's four people. You know, the, the headline, I guess, the H1 of your website, if you will, is make AI apps. Yeah, that's right. So basically,
1: like I've already said H2O Wave is a framework that allows you to build web applications and dashboards with nothing but Python. No CSS, no HTML, no JavaScript required. However, if you wish to sprinkle a little bit of JavaScript or CSS, then you definitely can. That's not a problem. And basically, we try to build um, a rich library of um, widgets or components that are ready to use and that should cover a wide range of scenarios that people might encounter. So at the end of the day, you end up with a very little bit of Python code. does
0: very much yeah let's set the stage a little maybe thinking about what options do people have today they've got an ml model that makes predictions or maybe they've got something that will slice and dice the data and turn it into a graph but you want to let them maybe pick the country by which you do you pull the data from or the time range or some other aspect and make it a little bit interactive you know or even not if you don't have that option just make it static i guess like what are the different things people are doing now that might relate to this? Yeah, that's a great question. So
1: the simplest uh, thing that uh, people can do is the regular tool of their interest is the notebook, mm-hmm. which is uh, very user-friendly. You have just a single prompt, which you type into, and that behaves as a repo. And uh, basically what they get in in response are just static images of graphs or whatever, and these then can be then copy pasted as screenshots to either PowerPoint presentations or whatnot. However, this approach is, as you have said, uh, somewhat static and uh, can be not so engaging. Let's say so that where web application come into play, which uh, can sprinkle a little bit of interactivity. So let's say you have a sidebar that has various controls like filters, or maybe some sliders that adjust the uh, model values. And on the right side, you will, you get your visualization interactively in real time. So this is something that's, uh, that has more storytelling power, let's say. h Wave was initially built with um, this in mind as well.
0: Right. And Jupiter is fantastic. I mean, so many people work in Jupiter and do amazing things but it's not necessarily what you deliver to an end user, right? If the CEO of your company says, Hey, I want to, I want you to give me a dashboard that helps me understand, say sales and cost this month. You probably aren't going to just point them at your Jupyter notebook on GitHub. You probably still are not even going to point them at a a version running on your server. What if, they want that updated every minute, you know, with like highlights are important stuff and they want to access it on their phone in a way that is like, you know, you have more control over how it lays out. And it's just Jupiter is great, but it's not an end user technology. It's, it's an enabling technology, right? It's like saying, well, I'm going to give Power uh, PyCharm to a user to run my app. It's like, well, no, 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 no. It's cool if you could run your code, but that's not the tool that you give them to do it with, right? You package it up into a .app or whatever you're after. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of the gap you're trying to close, right? That's That's right. Well, cool. Okay. Now, when I hear that i think of a couple of other projects streamlit i interviewed adrian back i think it was 2019 who founded streamlit and streamlit is about building these really simple dashboards sort of interactive places where i uh, say on the left you've uh, you've got a few things you can change and on the right you might have some kind of graph or <laughs> you might get a 404 if you're clicking through the gallery right now but this is in that realm and then also plotly dash as well give us a, a sense of like how those compare because there's probably people listening who are like well yeah i'm really interested in this but I've, I've already considered working with Streamlit. should i choose h2o wave or should i stick with Streamlit, or whatever
1: yeah definitely so basically one of the main reasons that the wave was built because it's very similar to the project that you mentioned is that the um, we were not very satisfied with either performance. And uh, this, the second uh, reason was that, for example, Streamlit apps to, uh, used to be very, very resource heavy. That means a lot of money in production <laughs> cost. So the reason was that Streamlit used to, used to run a separate process for every single browser tab, which of course demanded a lot of memory. However, I've checked before this podcast, to be 100% sure. And it seems like they migrated to a single-threaded AsyncIO approach since then, which is the same approach that, uh, let's say, Dev or h 2 Wave also follow. So this is not a differentiator anymore. The biggest differentiator is that h 2 Wave has most features, let's say, most uh, widgets to use, and we also haven't seen any with the regular web application beyond these filters and sliders that change your model outputs. H way we've seen like web applications that you would get maybe only software engineers could build, not the data scientists.
0: Right, so for example, with Streamlet, what I often get, like if, here I pulled up an example that they have, some real-time texting. And what you get is kind of this interactive, this one doesn't even have a sidebar, it's pretty nice. So you can, uh, got a little drop down and a button to start working with it, but you don't have like a footer and a nav bar and multiple things on there with responsive layout and, you know, like a lot of the stuff you would expect, right? It's, it's still pretty close to what you might see on a notebook. As nice as yeah. it is. I do really like Streamlit.
1: Yeah, exactly. We call these concept toy apps, let's say. These are more like POCs, the stuff that we have talked to a while ago. Wave is, Origin, uh, originally built with this in, uh, in mind, but then somehow grew much larger that we, we can talk about
0: it. Yeah, it, it definitely seems like it's grown a bit more. I haven't checked up on Streamlet enough to be able to follow along with exactly how many widgets they have and so on. But yeah, maybe compared to, to plotly dash as well. Yes. So I'm not uh, very experienced with Locally.
1: Neither am I, to be honest. But assuming the same story there. So they have um, a few form widgets like text boxes, sliders, drop downs, etc. that let you control the visualization. But uh, also, if you have a look, these visualizations that you present, and these are like 3D models for our listeners who can see our screen, most likely it's just third party JavaScript library, which means that it's not necessarily a part of. Blockly Mm Dash.
0: So no Python API. Right. If we look over here at H2O Wave, the headline is Make AI Apps, but it sounds to me like a broad range of apps could really land here. If you're interested in almost any kind of reporting, dashboard, visualization, give us some ideas of the types of apps that people are building here.
1: The most common applications are are the toy apps, as we have already discussed, but Mm -hmm. the once people truly discovered the power of Way, then they started to amaze us as developers because they started to build production-grade applications that could be deployed and put to production and work just fine, right? For example, H2O organized public, let's say, hackathon that uh, aimed to, to save uh, or to predict wildfires in California. I believe in California, maybe mm-hmm. in the whole world. And one uh, kind of software engineer built a truly a uh, wonderful web app that allowed them to submit, submit their model, to preview, preview them, to make scoreboard and everything within web application. And it took in like two weeks, which is like incredible. That's and that's amazing. Yeah. But maybe some success story from a data scientist context, let's say, we have a team at H2O that, that wasn't very happy with one of our data science products, so they decided, let's build one ourselves. So. The uh, result was that they have built it called Hydrogen Torch, and uh, a uh, framework for deep learning, and the result is a wave application that was built within a week or two as uh, an initial concept, and it has features like can train your models. You can see how it predicts, let's say, uh, computer vision models with uh, image annotations. It has the support for audio, if I remember co- correctly, and it, wow. yeah, exactly. And it's simply just uh, everything that you can expect from a regular web application. And that blew my mind because the guys behind Hydrogen Torch are not software engineers. They are purely data scientists. They are even Kegel grandmasters for those who are aware of Kaggle Kegel platform.
0: And they were able to build it themselves, which is oh, mind blowing to me. Hydrogen Torch. Okay. Yeah, I haven't heard of that. It looks pretty cool. It has experiment flow and data set connectors and even pre processed data sets.
1: Yes. And I remember that <laughs> these features were built by data scientists, which is. Something that you would typically require hold a software engineering team, right?
0: Right. And they probably didn't even use any TypeScript or React. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> That's cool. This portion of Talk Python to Me is brought to you by Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub. Starting a business is hard. By some estimates, over 90% of startups will go out of business in just their first year. With that in mind, Microsoft for Startups set out to understand what startups need to be successful and to create a digital platform to help them overcome those challenges. Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub was born. Founders Hub provides all founders at any stage with free resources to solve their startup challenges. The platform provides technology benefits, access to expert guidance and skilled resources, mentorship and networking connections, and much more. Unlike others in the industry, Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub doesn't require startups to be investor-backed or third-party validated to participate. Founders Hub is truly open to all. So what do you get if you join them? You speed up your development with free access to GitHub and Microsoft Cloud computing resources and the ability to unlock more credits over time help your startup innovate founders hub is partnering with innovative companies like OpenAI, a global leader in ai research and development to provide exclusive benefits and discounts through microsoft for startups founders hub becoming a founder is no longer about who you know you'll have access to their mentorship network giving you a pool of hundreds of mentors across a range of disciplines and areas like idea validation fundraising management and coaching sales and marketing as well as specific technical stress points You'll be able to book a one-on-one meeting with the mentors, many of whom are former founders themselves. Make your idea a reality today with the critical support you'll get from Founders Hub. To join the program, just visit talkpython.fm slash all one word, The no links in your show notes. Thank you to Microsoft for supporting the show. I think maybe to, give, to make this a little bit concrete to help people get a sense of how you work with this and what it has to offer, I want to maybe talk through two areas. I want to talk through kind of getting started what it looks like to write some code here. Also, maybe talk through some of the widgets because as you pointed out, if you look through the widget section, <laughs> it's like a, a multi-level hierarchy of things, but there's several hundred widgets that you can use. So that's a lot to just be able to, you know, write a few, uh, one line of Python and bring in some amazing UI element, right? Yeah, exactly. But let's start with going through the tutorial. So we can talk through maybe a couple of these because I think they're a little bit interesting. They're all, all quite short. And I'll, I'll keep it simple because I know uh, code on the internet is hard, but just to kind of give you a sense of like some of the moving parts. So in order to do any of this stuff, maybe we should also think a little bit about the architecture is you have a, a Wave server and you have Wave applications, right? You write these Wave applications in Python, but the server itself is like a Go centralized host, like Micro Whiskey or G-Unicorn or something, but for Wave, right? Yeah, exactly. So okay. basically, as
1: you have said, that there are two parts, Wave server and Wave application. Wave server is written in Golang, and it provides one of the highlight features play of Wave, and that is, seamless integration with the open ID connect, which is authentication, but the authentication protocol, because most of the, your enterprise applications need to be secured somehow, right? And as a data scientist, you just don't want to, and, and cannot <laughs> to do that yourself because
0: it's security wise, sure. but they, yeah, sure. And even if you did a lot of the, the OAuth flow requires you setting up certain endpoints and it, it's tricky. Yeah,
1: exactly it tricky even for regular for engineers. So <laughs> that's why we provide this feature out of the box and it's provided by Wave Server, which our Wave app, which is a Python server connects to and talks to browser through as a proxy, let's say. So every, all the data goes from Python application to Wave Server. And then Wave Server keeps an open WebSocket connection with browser to perform
0: real panel okay so to get started start the wave server yeah. create a virtual environment pip install h2o dash wave and then that's it you just have that one dependency i guess you might have to pip install h2o wave before you can start the server if you haven't got it or like globally available but then you just have to write a little bit of code now there's interesting paradigms that you've chosen here a lot of the web frameworks are stateless, right? Here's an endpoint, and the only thing this endpoint knows about anything is that here's the request coming in. Maybe a cookie is passed, maybe a query string is passed, or a form. But other than that, like it's separate, unknown, unrelated, no history. And with these apps, it's a little bit more like um, a single running script that has a bit of a memory, right? Yes. So yeah. basically, a wave has two concepts, let's say. One is
1: WaveScript, the other one is a wave app. And the difference is that WaveScript is um, as the name suggests a script. So you write a Python code, hit Python you involve it like let's say Python hello world.py, not like you would do with the normal regular Python script. And what that does is it, it converts your Python script wave data into a JSON, sends it to Wave server, and keeps it there. So that means that your, Wave, uh, your Python process is finished, and you only serve your data from Wave server to your users, which is much more performant than if you had to rerun the script for every single user as you would normally do. Yeah. Okay. And uh, another concept is a Wave app, which is uh, something that uh, most our users use. Yeah. And Wave app lets you add interactivity. Because with Base Strip, more suited for dashboards, which are just static, read-only web apps, let's say, and you can even update it as you wish. But with Wave Application, you probably want to handle your button clicks or dropdown changes,
0: and all this needs to needs to be recorded back on Python server, right? And yeah, you're gonna trigger elements of the page changing and things of that sort. So one thing that's interesting here is you create a site by giving it an endpoint like slash hello, and you can have multiple ones of these running on the wave server, right? These multiple scripts or multiple apps. And then you start working with these widgets and these widgets can be composable and hierarchical and they feel a little bit like almost like working with Flutter, right? You have these UI elements and you might have like a, a layout, which has a grid and into the grid, you might put a, table and into the table you might put cards right you, you kind of build this up in code mostly you can use html and other templating languages but mostly you write it in code by if first this example you have here you just say i'm going to create a, a ui dot markdown card right
1: yes so basically the basic building of local be it the script or apps is something called card so if you want to uh, in the example in front of us you have specified UI.markdown card, which is as the name suggests, <laughs> a card that lets you display markdown and interpret
0: it. And that's about it. You put your cards into the layout and that's it. Yeah, you also have um, the idea of basically a-, a grid layout where you can position these cards to be in a certain offset and a certain size, right? So in your Hello World example, you have the position is box one one, two, two, which means the top left and then two wide, too tall. Yes, exactly. So
1: the box 1122 two means cone 1, row 1, and width 2, and height 2. We also support another type of layout, and that responsive layouts for more advanced users. This grid layout is more like the simplest layout that we could uh, write, but it, it's fixed. It means that it may not work well on every single string. But if you want sure. if you want the more responsiveness, then definitely go for
0: responsive layout, which is based on flexbox. Right. So maybe it's five wide if you got a big screen, but if it's on a phone, they just all go vertical. Exactly. Okay. And let's see what else do I want to call here. All right, I think that one's that one's pretty good. You also have this idea of editing your page from the REPL. So after you've run that, you can then just fire up Python and start working with it again. How does that work? It's uh, mostly just for playing around. Maybe debugging. Yeah, maybe debugging. But I don't think
1: that people will de- develop that way. It's just to show people. It's really nothing but Python. And no hidden concept, nothing like that. You can basically hit up your REPL and work from de- there as well if you want.
0: Yeah, but what's surprising to me is you can exit your Python script and then you can open the REPL, import the code, and then make some calls to it. And it actually changes the running code <laughs> that I see, right?
1: Yeah. Basically, the magic behind that is, if you notice, we have that page.save function, which basically, what it does is make a diff, of what has changed from your previous save, and send it over to the web-, web server. And web server then deals with that and displays
0: whatever changes you have made. So since this is a static file, effectively, it's just... There's a, a a singleton copy on the server that everybody's requesting.
1: Exactly. That's why it's very suitable for dashboards.
0: Sure. So another thing that jumps out is you make this change and then people who have the browser open to that page, it just changes. They don't have to reload. Right? It has built-in kind of smart hot reload. Tell us yeah, about that. Yeah, exactly. So this is one of the things that I that
1: uh, may be appealing even to, let's say, regular software engineers, because the problem with software engineers is like, if you present them with framework like this, they want to have more control, right? Right. We as software developers, we need to have control over everything. <laughs> That's why we don't like, let's say, WordPress, or...
0: That's a great undoing. The shiny yeah. thing, and we have to create it ourselves.
1: Yeah, exactly. But the problem with, um, let's say, the typical approach to building a web application today, which is a single page applications, is that all the initial triggers need to be done from client side, from the browser. But if you want to reflect changes that happened on the backend side, then this can be a bit problematic. You either need to introduce polling, which means calling your web server, uh, your backend regularly. But that may not be ideal because you can flood your server unnecessarily.
0: (laughs) I don't know why we can only support 20 users at a time. This doesn't make any sense.
1: (laughs) Or you can uh, uh, use WebSocket, which is not so easy to implement, let's say. And what Wave uh, uses is exactly this WebSocket. So it allows you to push changes from server to UI seamlessly. And that's also
0: one of the wonderful features of Wave. Right. So basically... The takeaway for most people is as you develop your code, as you develop your project, your app, you'll have it maybe open on the side in your browser, you make some changes. If you just hit save, then it should automatically, maybe you have to rerun your script, but you won't have to go and refresh your browser as well, right?
1: Yes, exactly. And even with the web applications, we use UVcur as the underlying Python server, which has built-in a hot reload. And that means that you can just save your file, and everything
0: uh, reload automatically. Cool. So UVicorn is watching your Python files for changes. So when you save, it automatically restarts it. You don't even have to
1: yeah, do that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. If they
0: restart it, and also the, your browser, call, uh, browser is uh, refreshed. Yep. Okay. Fantastic. So that's a pretty cool little hello world. The next one is to get the browser to sing 99 bottles of beer on the wall. which <laughs> <laughs> is a fun little demo. But this one takes us from, oh, this one is still a, a script so far, right? Yeah. And then the next one will convert it to an app. Okay. So for this one, the core takeaway here is basically a way to introduce like pushing updates from the server to the client. So for example, you know, people don't know there's the 99 bottles of beer in the wall, 99 bottles of beer, take one down, pass around. Now there's 98, then 97, then 96, right? So you wanted to have it like keep doing that over and over and over. So if this was a console app how would i do it i would probably say 4i in range and just for 99 and then 90 and i would just print just print 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 what you can do with wave is you can have that exact same super straightforward for loop and then you just go to your card that you put in the page and you just say content equals some f string right that verse for that number and then you just call page and then you don't want it to happen as fast as possible you sleep right, make it come out a little bit slower. But that does the multicast broadcast to all the clients watching just straight away, right? Just loop over the code, make some changes, and that will automatically push it. I guess you got to call to exactly. but then it'll push it. That's pretty impressive.
1: Yeah. And although, by the way, just not to forget the original author of this framework, it mm-hmm. is not me, but it's my boss, Pritchie Prabhu, which I would like to give a shout out to, because he's the mastermind behind
0: all this framework. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. It's, it's definitely a cool framework. So, this opens up a lot of possibilities for people coming to your, your site and getting some form of interactivity. Now, one thing you said is like, I could build, say, like a, a chat app or like some kind of bot. And what I've seen so far, it feels like what is happening on the server is shared with everyone rather than dedicated to a particular user or group of users. How do I combine this to say, like, I want them to sing this song, but I want everyone maybe who logs in to have their own copy, right? Like, Sarah came 30 seconds later, she shouldn't join the song halfway through, or a third of the way through. She should get it from 99 going down.
1: Yeah, that's definitely possible. The reason that you see for every single tab the same output is because we are we are only looking at the scripts, which in right. case of dashboards, that's. Totally understandable, right? Everybody should see the same dashboard because the data is always the same. But with Wave apps, you get the, basically the common like, behavior as you would suggest. So every, every tab can have its own day. I see. So let's is it say like if its you have, own
0: session, basically?
1: Exactly. So if you have what the counter app that has a single button and once you click it, then it increments counter, you can basically have a, a single button instance for every single tab, if you want to, Mm -hmm. but we also have uh, something called multicast and broadcast mode, and uh, that means that the value could be synced across every single tab if you wanted to, but the default mode is called unicast, and that means that the change is only propagated to the current
0: client, which is... I see. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. This portion of Talk Me is brought to you by Sentry. How would you like to remove a little stress from your life? Do you worry that users may be encountering errors, slowdowns, or crashes with your app right now? Would you even know it until they sent you that support email? How much better would it be to have the error or performance details immediately sent to you, including the call stack and values of local variables and the active user recorded in the report? With Sentry, this is not only possible, it's simple. In fact, we use Sentry on all the TalkPython web properties. We've actually fixed a bug triggered by a user and had the upgrade ready to roll out as we got the support email. And that was a great email to write back. Hey, we already saw your error and have already rolled out the fix. Imagine their surprise. Surprise and delight your users. Create your Sentry account at talkpython.fm Sentry. And if you sign up with the code talkpython, all one word, it's good for two free months of Sentry's business plan, which will give you up to 20 times as many monthly events as well as other features. Create better software, delight your users, and support the podcast. Visit talkpython.fm Sentry and use the coupon code talkpython. Maybe this is a good time to pause going through some of the, these code examples and some of these capabilities. Bob Vani has a good question. What databases are supported? Uh, not necessarily even just databases, but like where does this code run? Is this PyScript and PyID? Is this on the server? What capabilities do I have? Can I pip install whatever I want? Or am yeah, I limited, basically?
1: There are of the limit, you know, because all the code is running in server. So that means that you can basically connect to any dot database of your choice, the same way as you would do, let's say, in Django or Flask app. And so basically you, you can maybe install anything you want
0: on your server. I see. So if it's supported with Python or in some crazy indirect way that you might write some C, you could call from Python, you could call it, and it's, <laughs> it's going to be like, it's full Python. So it does whatever you want it to do. Exactly.
1: Whatever okay. you can make Python to do, then it's possible in Wave as well. Sure.
0: That's really good to know. All right. So I guess maybe the, the third thing that really is, oh, well, let's talk about two things real quick. Before I get to the, the third one here, one thing that's kind of interesting is what you're setting here in this example is in the for loop, you're saying the content is this F string and you regenerate the entire F string. And for this example, it's like a tiny little, it's a verse in a song and who cares. But you know, if this was a much more interesting, like a full on Jinja style template and you want to just change one little small piece you you know, re round tripping that full HTML every time is not the most efficient. So what you have because you're doing WebSockets is you have this idea of like an expression to send some, some uh, values over. So you pass a dictionary of the values and then you set the content to be an expression, a little handlebar thing like um, JavaScript front end binding or a, a Jinja value, something along those lines, right? Tell us about this and how that works.
1: Yeah. So basically it works. Basically what do you, you always send just the difference, you not know, the tips or let's say deltas, what has changed to the UI. And once these changes are uh, arrived to the browser, then a react takes over it and renders whatever changes have come. Right? So in, in this particular case, the first change would be the whole string because there is nothing else there. You, it would be rendered, but all the subsequent updates will only contain changes in the form of uh, dictionary values, which is much less to care about on the network bandwidth side. And once these values arrive, then React again takes over and does
0: its magic and updates the UI correctly. Yeah, that's really neat. So, really great way to be super efficient just by setting some values like on your card dot data dot whatever you want to call it and then call save and those correspond over to your to your expression right that that makes up your template
1: yeah and that's even more important in our domain because data scientists usually have a lot of data extremely a lot of data (laughs) and uh, that means that they would like to push it all into browser and render their plots but if they did on every single update, then it might not be the the best way, right? So right, if, that's why we If have you've got introduced. a great big
0: page and a, a tiny little plot that you want to change, you know, it'd be better to just say just change that plot, but leave all the other stuff there. alone.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly.
0: Cool. Let's talk the last little thing here about how this looks if we make it an actual an app. I think.
1: oh, uh, if you need to go
0: to the to the list, the list, okay, or maybe be a an- counter, maybe. That would be simple. And I think the bean counter one, yeah, the bean counter one will do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is a real simple one. So the bean counter one is like a button. You press it, it just goes one, two, three, four, right? It's, it shows things like state though and, and whatnot. But tell us how does it look different to uh, create something like in the script, I didn't do anything hardly about like URLs or or functions to call or returning. I just did some stuff and then it somehow magically changed. But this looks a little bit more like flask right
1: yeah <clears throat> so the difference in syntax is that you need to have a single function that's asynchronous because we use a- async not, io not i order not to block your ui and that function needs to be annotated with the app annotation that takes the single para- a para- a required parameter which is a url pad that, that you want your app to be
0: listened on And within this function. Can I listen to forward slash? Like all these examples are like slash counter and slash hello and so on. Yeah,
1: you can uh, use it uh, also root, which will be just the forward forward slash and that's it. Yeah, okay. And just to get back, so the annotate function uh, will give you one parameter, which is Q, and -hmm. that stands for query. And that allows you to control your wave app. So it has methods like Q.save or QPageSafe, I would say. Yeah, Q.PageSafe. Yeah, page QPageSafe, which is an equivalent of page.save. In our previous script example, you also, instead of page dictionary that you put your cards in, you need to just prefix it with Q. So you, you end up with Q okay. page, and
0: then you specify your card. And this is how you get the per-user type of thing because that Q is probably tied to them, right?
1: Not necessarily. The per-user thing is by default, but uh, if you go to the app annotation, you can specify mode there. So by default, oh, okay. it's Unicast, and that's how it distributes, uh, distributes the changes. The queue is more like, you can think of it as, as a source of what has changed and how to update your UI. So when we go through the example, order, you will see that it can also store some local pay or advise state, etc. Okay.
0: The, one of the things that really jumped out to me was here was seeing the async and await stuff everywhere. So you have an async method, you call await page.save, save, And presumably, if you want to work with Beanie and MongoDB, you could use its async API. If you want to call an API endpoint with HTTPX, you could await those calls, right? So it really allows you to create really scalable code, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. And
0: Especially the reason
1: why async is because uh, if you have the case, like you have the single app, which has two users, and the first user would uh, create some blocking action, then it would block it also the second user because server is busy, right? It cannot respond. So that's why you we, we need to make everything asynchronous. Mm-hmm.
0: And you're, it's, you said you're using UVicorn behind the scenes, so that's a, a super ser- a great server for this kind of code
1: yes exactly yeah it does a lot of heavy lifting for us
0: yeah absolutely it's really good to build on it is it running some kind of python framework that we don't see like a flask or fast api or something or is it just all custom
1: it uses starlight although okay. i'm not sure if it's the actual server
0: because i'm not very familiar with it yeah so starlet's the same foundation as fast api and other things as well so that's it's cool all right, well, there's a cool getting started people can walk through and check it out. It's pretty interesting, because it is a different programming model compared to how many people would be familiar with Flask and those types of things that are very stateless and you've got to somehow figure out you know, how to get their session and then store that in a database or a, a Redis queue and then get that back and then you know regenerate it, right? It's, you have this inner information more round-tripped. I think it'll resonate with a lot of people. It's It's definitely easier. So I want to talk about the widgets, but actually before we talk about the widgets, let's touch on one thing over in the examples here, templates. So when I write traditional web applications, let's call them, I'll create an HTML file and I'll probably use some template language like Chameleon or Jinja 2 or Django templates and pass a dictionary over there. But I I mostly think about what's on the page by structuring an HTML file that has CSS and JavaScript and placeholders for my things to go into and loops and that sort of thing is there a way in HTML wave to have some kind of template like that uh definitely okay
1: although we do not encourage it very much because we we usually tend to think about uh, using your custom HTML as um, Escape page, would say, and okay. we instead we try to provide you with the uh, Python APIs whenever possible. But if you really, really want, there is uh, also HTML templating if you need to, and that's also work the same way as we described the uh, script data update. So it mm-hmm. takes one dictionary mm-hmm. with the uh, values and then an
0: HTML with the uh, templating language right does it do the partial updates based on that as well or does it round trip the the template the whole thing do you know i'm not
1: sure about that one but i would say it it also is capable of partial
0: updates okay so basically the examples that you have here are you have a little tiny fragment like a a fragment of html that'll go onto the page and then that's the the template sounds a little bit like view components and that style yeah we, and we put maybe the code one more the, the yeah. markdown a little bit together.
1: Yeah, exactly. And maybe one more inter- interesting thing to note because the, the app that uh, we are currently looking at is called uh, H2Wave Tool, and that also a Wave app in itself. So you can see the it the looks nice, even though you have a smaller screen, and it's the perfect example of what Wave is capable because. All the code that uh, we see in front of us is uh, rendered in a uh, VS code editor which is called monaco editor and that implemented via incorporating custom javascript into wave so that means if you really need to include some third-party libraries in javascript then we got you
0: covered as well that's really awesome yeah so this h2o wave tour lets you run the code locally and explore it and and search through the different examples, which is really fantastic. So if you go to the website, there's a a getting started that shows you how to get this up and running. What we get is a a nav bar across the top and then like a drop down combo box and a next previous button. On the right side of the page, we have the rendered output that's live. And then on the left side, we have the code that makes it happen. So what you're telling me is that little square on the, the left Pane of my two pane window. That's basically VS Code.
1: Yes, you can edit it. You can. You have OP one, with oh. So if you can try okay. to type into it, hit uh, W and let's say button,
0: or maybe not. Or maybe yeah, yeah. I remember it wrongly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, maybe my ad blockers uh, make it angry as well. You never know. Oh, okay. <laughs> but yeah, that's cool. Yeah, you get like uh, highlighting and and indentations and.
1: Yeah, you, know. you can you can edit it, and uh, your changes should be reflected on the right side as well. Yeah, kind of interactive.
0: Yeah, you can just sit there and edit it. That's a really cool way to play with it, right? You know, you you have stuff that'll say take you to Replit or whatever. And there's all these pages like, well, okay, what do I click to actually make this show up, and where's it supposed to go? This is this is a really cool way to to explore. I think. Yeah. Okay. So the thing I wanted to talk about was these templates. So there is some way to do little bits, but it it sounds to me more like it's it's a little bit this component model like this little section this card that we're going to put somewhere on the screen here's its little fragment of html that is an expression that goes with it yeah that's right yeah very very neat the other one that's pretty nice is markdown right you have nice support for just markdown out of the box so i think that's great you have various there's hundreds of examples and some people can go play with it but there's there's a couple for the different how markdown gets applied and and used let's see another thing you know you talked about hit you told me to type uh, like w button and hit and tab so that's part of one of the code extensions or plugins depending on the editor you're using so you have vs code and you have pycharm plugins that allow us to create things like if i got a form or something right I could type like w form tab, and it would go potentially create, you know, some kind of UI element, instead of me having to do that, right? Or if I want to get a scaffold up a a starter application.
1: Yes, that's right. So we have VS Code extension and PyCharm plugin, which have uh, the same features. And the features are one is uh, called snippets, snippet or templates but I uh, know, allows you to streamline your typing a little bit, so you don't need to think about how, what are the possible attributes in the button, for example, you can just, uh, yeah, there is a nice little demo. So you you can just type W underscore and your card name, and it will basically give you all the code that is needed. And uh, the second part is... um, the way autocomplete because most of the stuff in Wave is based on dictionaries which are dynamic in their nature so there is not much that the type system can infer so we help with that a little bit as well.
0: Yeah, It's amazing how much those sort of focused templates are like, I'm here to create UI widgets. I'm telling you, this reminds me a lot of Flutter. I don't know if you've done anything with Flutter. Just a little bit. But like the the sort of style of like the way you create these sort of nested UI uh, widgets, and then the the editor tools to build them. It's really nice, I like it. I certainly, if people are gonna build real apps with this, they should be considering these extensions or plugins, right?
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah, so Phil on the audience has an idea. It says, less intelligent, more basic. This might provide an easy way to build a personal media streaming service on my Raspberry Pi and a remote control interface to control and view from my phone. What do you think? Can you build Can a remote control? Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. I'd say it sounds uh, pretty possible.
1: Just a quick note that um, we are very interested in everything that our community does. So if you have some cool way up, don't hesitate and bring it up. You can go to our GitHub discussions, and there we have a discussion dedicated to our community showcase. So,
0: Mm -hmm. yeah, (laughs) uh, definitely a good idea. A lot of things I want to ask you about, but we're going to run out of time. So, let's talk about deployment. So, and, and, and is this a thing I have to buy in order to use H2O WAVE? So suppose I have a virtual Linux server at Linode. I want to run, I want to run this there. Could I do it?
1: Definitely. WAVE is 100% free of charge. So you can use it even for commercial projects. Our license permitted. And you can deploy it wherever you want. We even had some blog posts about deploying WAVE apps called Heroku. And we plan to also add for, let's say, AWS EC2 or Linode or whatever. Yeah. And however, if you, if you are an enterprise, then part of our business model is that we, we basically provide the cloud solution for, for app deployment for you. So
0: that's, that's about it. I would say. Okay. So if I have like a team, a data scientist, and I don't want a dedicated h two wave DevOps person. I can just pay you all some sort of money and you'll set up some number of apps. How's the pricing work there? I'm not sure
1: because I'm not working on the cloud side of things, but just to give you maybe more, just to shed more light on our initial intentions with Wave, we wanted to solve basically three problems. One was um, building nice UIs, second was authentication out of the box, because this is Painful, and the third one was deployment. Because if you are a data scientist, you probably don't know much about it, right? Right. So that's where our cloud platform comes to play, which allows you to easily deploy your web apps using CLI. It's basically like
0: Heroku. That's it. Well, cool. So your business model is basically H2O Wave is free, open source. People can deploy it where they want, but if they don't want to manage the running and upgrading and backups and all that. They can buy that as it, a service from you exactly yeah that sounds fair is it hard to set up if i want to host it myself
1: well not really basically the the simplest thing that you need to do is just run a uh, hit wave run and then your app.py and that should basically uh, run your app application you expose
0: your correct ports and that i suppose i could put it behind uh nginx successfully I do got to do something special for uh, like the WebSocket aspect of it.
1: I don't think so because uh,
0: I don't think so either.
1: Because you just need to expose the Wave server part. The Wave application part uh, doesn't need to be exposed at all. And since Wave server is the one that handles WebSockets, then
0: it shouldn't work. Right. I think it just tells the browser, hey, we're upgrading to WebSockets. Let's keep going. And that should go through Nginx, I would guess. Okay. That way, like I could do, say, open S, I could do let's encrypt over and all that management stuff at the Nginx level. Yes, exactly. Yeah. This sounds good. The reason I ask is I know there's a bunch of data scientists who don't want to do that, but there's also people like me who are mostly programmers, but have a business with a bunch of dashboards that might be cool to build. (laughs) And I've already got eight servers and a bunch of stuff. I could easily host it on one of them. So for me, I could set it up and use it. Like I I'm asking in a, indirect, but more broad sense, like, you know, this is useful for people beyond just the traditional, I want slightly more than Jupiter crowd, right?
1: Yes, exactly. We even think that it might be useful for maybe people like you who are more of a software engineer. My boss likes to say that uh, we would like to compete in Django, although our, it's not really direct competition, let, let's say, I would say, because uh, Django requires you to know HTML and CSS and JavaScript, whereas we don't. But at the people side, we, we want to tar- target also like Python
0: developers. Sure. If you're doing pure HTML, Django serves up, you can start bringing in designers and front end people, right? There's like, there's a different kind of app that often gets built, but, or can be built, but especially if you're talking about businesses. of the apps that they actually build are just, like, forms over data. I need to see what's in the database, select a thing, filter a thing, click, do something to it. And that's the entire app, right? And it sounds like these Wave apps might be a good fit for, it doesn't have to look like Airbnb landing page. What it needs to do is show me this stuff and let people get to it quick and select them and make some actions real quickly, right, without spending weeks to do it. Exactly. Would it be good for that kind of apps? Definitely. We also
1: have success stories related to that because we had some, let's say, product people with, with some engineering skills or a bit of end skills. They needed some, let's say, small internal app that would allow them, for example, to bring people to, to give trial access to people to our platform. And this needed to be done by, backend developers before, because there was no infrastructure supporting it. So one of our product managers go went ahead and uh, built a wave app that did exactly that. It, uh, listed the, all the pending trial users and allowed you to basically give them access. And that, that's it, right? It's a very
0: small application, but it was built in... Uh, no time with the uh, tremendous value. Yeah. So definitely. And you have all the widgets you need. You've got buttons, you can type in various things, and you can sort of build up this interaction, right? You've got drop downs and search and the make it happen type of buttons. Do you have a grid?
1: Yes. Uh, it's called table.
0: Mm. If you will search for it. And if one up. of the I'll do the table of search. There you go. Yeah.
1: And basically this is one of the fundamental components for data scientists, right? Because you want to showcase your data sets. This is like the perfect component for it.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, even have little cool circular progress bars, which is that's those are really nice looking widgets. Yeah, very good. And then I guess you even have um, no, it wasn't page it was filtering. But yeah, very, very cool.
1: Yes, we support search, filter, sort even pagination, if you want, and have a really a lot of data.
0: Yeah. And we didn't even really get a chance to go through all the um, all the widgets. But You've got most things I can imagine you want to use to build, build an app. You've got a color picker. You've got choice groups like a radio button, I'm presuming. You've got images. You've got file upload. Do you have a video player?
1: Not yet, but uh, it should land soon because we are working on a video annotator component. which should basically be also usable
0: as a video player. Okay, so you have a, a text annotator, and this would be the the, kind of the same thing, and also an image annotator. That's on the ML side, where you say, here's the thing I'm going to feed my model, tell it that this is a person, and that is a cat. Don't let it think the cat is a person, or whatever, right? Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah, cool. So, you'll probably have the video player as a a building block there, right? Yes. That sounds fun. Okay, any other widgets you want to give a quick... Shout out to. I said there, I mean, there's a whole host of plotting. I guess also you can integrate with things like Altair and Plotly and Matplotlib. You don't have to stick with just your widgets.
1: Yes, and we, you can even go to overlay sections and we have things like dialogue, side, mm-hmm. sidebars, etc., notification bars, mm-hmm. whatever you can think of. Nice. And well, if there is something that you'll need and it's not there, you can always file a feature request.
0: Yep, and that'll land on your desk or on your screen. <laughs> You know, you'll think about it. Perfect. Well, it certainly looks like a capable platform and ability to take it and just go run with it and deploy it. Pretty excellent. And if, you know, people out there and they don't want to deploy it, then you have a business for them. Business op- offering. Yes. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Real quickly, because uh, like I said, we're getting short on time. Two things. Uh, let me pull up the actual the app here. So you have themes, right? If, if you, like five or six different ways in which your site can look and you can just apply a theme or you can create custom themes. Or if you want to go crazy, you can actually include custom CSS, right? Yes, but
1: you probably most likely don't want to do that. But if you want
0: to, you are free to go. <laughs> okay. Yeah. There's a way to create a UI widget that is a, a meta head element where you can say include this JavaScript either off your server or off a CDN yes. or CSS. Yeah. And also uh, the other question, the other thing I want to touch on is uh, JavaScript support.
1: Yes. So basically, we support on um, arbitrary JavaScript as well. You just include your script as if you did in, let's say, Django or whatever all these other server-side frameworks. <clears throat> you are good to go. The example should be called inline script or script if you whatever you wish.
0: There we go. How about this? One? Yeah, so what's interesting is there's a way to set up in JavaScript to push back into the Wave app and trigger that that function to run with new arguments, right? Yeah, exactly.
1: So that's how you can basically bridge the gap between JavaScript and Python.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can send your data back to Python. Yeah, so you just say in JavaScript, you just say wave.emit and the event and then you know, arguments basically, right? Exactly. Okay. It's always nice to have these escape hatches you know, like it's it's eighty-five percent of what I need. I just need a little bit something different here. And if I could just put two lines of JavaScript, I know I could get there or I need to style this just a little bit differently. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. All right, Martin. Well, very cool project that you're working on here. Congrats on getting it out there. It looks like it's pretty popular. People are definitely digging it. And also I, I love the Command K <laughs> stuff that you have here. <laughs> on your homepage where you can just instantly jump in and and like search around that. That's pretty cool. But 3000 GitHub stars looks, looks like a cool framework. Not exactly a, direct head to head competitor Django and Flask, but not that far off either. Right?
1: Not yet, but let's hope that one day, <laughs> give,
0: give it a year or two. Huh? Okay, cool. I love it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Now, before you get out of here, got the final two questions for you. If we're going to write some code, what editor do you use?
1: I prefer VS code, the, the wonderful VIM extension. I cannot live without it anymore. Mm-hmm. However, I do think that the PyCharm has well, much better language support. I prefer VS Code because I need to jump between
0: multiple languages. Cool. Got it. And I'm sure that you run the wave extension or plugin. <laughs> There's all right. Yes, of course. Of course. And the notable PyPI package, something you find interesting or you want to recommend? There are many, of course, but maybe
1: one that I would like to give a shout out to is Playwright, and oh, yeah. basically end to end testing uh, framework, something like Cypress. I found that it can be used for much more than just end-to-end testing. We use it for visual regression testing. We use it for generating our imagery into documentation. And I have even done loads test of uh, tests uh, using that as well. So it's a pretty versatile
0: oh, oh, wow. tool. It's like the new Selenium, sort of. Exactly. Yeah. I did interview Andy Knight three four months ago about this. Playwright is really neat. It's... I had to do visual testing or testing where I kind of interact with the UI. Definitely what I would pick these days. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Our final call to action people want to get started with Wave. What do they do?
1: Either go to our docs, which is wave.h2o.ai, or they can start on our GitHub repository and they'll find their way there, I believe. And maybe just a quick note we are participating in Hacktoberfest. So if you feel like you would like to
0: contribute to open source, then you are more than welcome. Nice. Okay. I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with Hacktoberfest, but maybe some aren't. What's the story there?
1: So basically, Hacktoberfest is a month-long celebration of open source, and it encourages people to contribute back open source. And if they do four um, valid pull requests, then they might be eligible for a swag or
0: a t-shirt. Cool. And it is October, recording on October 3rd. So awesome. Get out there and be part of it. That sounds fun. Well, Wave sounds like a really cool framework. We have so many choices. And I love that it takes advantage of some of these modern Python ideas like async and await and whatever else you want to bring into it. So very cool work. Thanks for being on the show to share it with us. Thanks for having me, Michael. Yeah, you bet. Bye. Bye. This has been another episode of Talk Python to Me. Thank you to our sponsors. Be sure to check out what they're offering. It really helps support the show. Starting a business is hard. Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub provides all founders at any stage with free resources and connections to solve startup challenges. Apply for free today at talkpython.fm slash foundershub. Take some stress out of your life. Get notified immediately about errors and performance issues in your web or mobile applications with Sentry. Just visit talkpython.fm Sentry and get started for free. And be sure to use the promo code talkpython, all one word. Want to level up your Python? We have one of the largest catalogs of Python video courses over at TalkPython. Our content ranges from true beginners to deeply advanced topics like memory and async. And best of all, there's not a subscription in sight. Check it out for yourself at training.talkpython.fm. Be sure to subscribe to the show, open your favorite podcast app, and search for Python. We should be right at the top. You can also find the iTunes feed at slash iTunes, the Google Play feed at slash play, and the direct RSS feed at slash RSS on talkpython.fm. We're live streaming most of our recordings these days. If you want to be part of the show and have your comments featured on the air, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at talkpython.fm slash YouTube.